The definition of ambition is a strong desire and passion to succeed. And hers truly welcomes you to what we call Africa's unsung heroes. They gonna love me for my ambition. Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Africa's Unsung Heroes. I am Zabit Deep, and today we are looking at people in business. So, hi Tuso, how are you? I'm good in yourself, and thank you for having me today. Well, thank you so much. Do you want a break? No. Okay, no, if you, if you need a break... No, stop calling. Okay, <laughs> if you want a break, it's not a stress at all. Let's open the floor here. Who is Tuso Chulwani before anything? Uh, Tuso Chulwani is a simple young individual who was born and raised in a small village called Castilian Bushback Ridge, which is right in Bumalanga. Uh, I spent almost my entire teen uh, life in Bushback Ridge and I was practically raised by my grandmother because my mother is also is also a young mother or we call the mute mother because she's also in her early 40s so she was still finding her own life her own roots her own success whatever it may have been so that's why we ended up uh, coming together today and uh, we regained ourselves because we never got a chance when I was young to be together mostly but uh, my grandmother has been my my caregiver, my pillar, and a person who taught me most of the things that today I am uh, in business. Um, because my family had a bit a <laughs> dramatic life where they were, let me just say, they were well off in business and then family rivals started to pick up and then everyone parted ways and everyone had to do something else. And my grandmother chose business which is one thing that she was able to take us through mm. life and take care of us and uh, that's how i am here today and that's how she was able to even pay for my application fees or get me money to varsity and it was all business and she never worked in her life she was pushing business up to the age of 65 till date and she's still a businesswoman she is today i want to backtrack quickly because you brought up two vital points you brought up the fact that and you said it so um freely there's something that people don't understand it could be area specific but it like you spoke about the fact that you had a youth mother and you're raised by your grandmother that's not a common thing in africa or at least south True. africa as well and then you mentioned something about business which I, i'm going to follow through now i just want to first start here how does it make you feel or how do you see the space of I was I was that baby or I was this person or this is the world we still live in where we are raised by grandmothers because our youth mothers still need the chance to establish themselves before us. Is it a thing? Is it not a thing? Do you think it's a problem? Do you think it's something that we speak too casual about? Or do you think that it's a space that needs to be recognized more just because of who you are today? I think... Uh there, there are just a lot of dynamics into this one, especially looking into how it affects a child. Because myself, um, I, I told her that, I told my mother that I'm grateful that she took a decision that, you know what, she's not uh, 
let me just say perfect fit mother at that particular time. Mm. So she chose someone she trusted that this particular person will raise. And uh, mind you, my grandmother did not raise me to hate my parents because she took care of me. She taught me love and she made me understand why there was that opportunity and that why am I in that situation to be to be in today. Then when when I started growing up, I also started realizing that you know we sometimes uh, forget that before the person is your child or your mother, it's a human, and yes. that human has goals, that human has dreams on their own perspective. That's why um, my grandmother told me that parents are not to control or to tell their children what to do. They are to support, give guidance, and show them direction where possible. But then, because of the narrative of how a parent must be, there, there, there is an extent of saying that uh, uh, many kids, uh, let me just say, they take this matter differently mm. because they think their parents abandoned them. But they then realize that their grandmothers actually did a perfect job. Because remember, it was not the, your choice as a child to be on this earth. It was your, your parents' choice. They decided that they're going to have you. And um, they decided also what's good for you and what may not seem fit for you. So that part of parenting and also forth, um, it, it, it's actually a huge a gap that we need maybe to discuss. So we realize which areas to recognize and which areas to fix for the future because we cannot be having the same culture over and over again in the future. It just has to be seated down and be discussed throughout as how parenting it is and how does teen parents become when they have child or how do they even experience this whole situation of having a baby while being a child of some sort. Mm. So yeah, I think that it needs to be given an opportunity so that both stories can be heard and explored. Yeah. Yes. I call this concept the broken chains because I feel like these are chains we take down um, from our, our our elders and yet we don't know we have them and we're entrapped and we need to break them so that like you said we need to cre- break this norm or this culture that we live in where's your father in all of this uh, I miss, how can I put it I wouldn't know but uh, my father never played any fatherly role in my life uh, anyhow I've tried reaching out and yeah I got, to, I got to the extent where I said, no, what, I'm not going to try again. As a parent, it is a responsibility True. to reach out to me if he cares. So with all the attempts I've made, several attempts, I, I then decided that, you know what, I'm just going to leave. I'm not going to be angry at him. The day he decides that he's going to come to my life, I don't know. There may be a space for him. There may be not. But... Uh, I'm I'm a person who forgives, and but I don't keep what seeks to take me back or drain my energy back. I seek to move on, Mm. and I move from that type of energy away because really I cannot be parenting my parent. Every parent should know their responsibility. For example, um, not only there is a responsibility of financial care give to your children, but you know support showing that we're there. Uh, showing that you are a human again who brought the human in this world. In this world, but when someone doesn't seemingly 
care or have grown up, it tends to become a problem. Hence, my grandmother used to tell me that um, I, I should forgive him and then decide on my own as I grow up. Hence, I must not decide when I'm angry, when I'm happy. I must just decide of what's good for me because I know what's good for me. As people, we know, I think, all of us, we know what's good for you, what's not good for you. Some people are not good for you, but we tend to keep them for the sake of calling them your blood and stuff like that. Mm. Not realizing that the same people are the end result of what you're becoming. Because you slowly become this pretentious person that you pretend with people around you. At the end of the day, you end up pretending to everything by not owning up to what is available in front of you. Then I decided to own up that and I decided to call my father and say, you know what, um, I'm in peaceful way, I'm going to cut ties with you because I don't think you are really worth for all I, I, I'm, I'm trying mm. to show you as a father. But uh, yeah, so my father never played a role. Um, the person who played the father role in my life were my uncles, my grandmother, and myself. And uh, I've been... True. You know, my grandmother is a soldier in me that I believe that uh, before you need someone else, check that what is it that is fulfilled before another person can come partake in fulfilling you being happy as a person. And before you seek out validation and love, are you loving yourself? Have you validated yourself? Yeah. And are you sure that are you this person you want to be and do you love yourself? And for that, I believe that there is nothing that can disturb your peace. And uh, you'll forever be allowing people to come in and come out of your life. So I became that person that, you know what, I'm not going to waste more time yeah. seeking for him to validate me or love me as a child. So I just decided to, to move on with my life. We're going to get to the soldier parts. We we definitely, I think we can speak a strong sentiment towards that. I just want to wrap this up and say or ask, do you fear that you may carry any chains from your father and yet you may not have the chance to see or know about it knowing that it stems from him do you have that in your mind where is there anything you could have taken from him that could have an effect on you maybe a, a personal characteristic a behavior you know just certain even traits or experiences from his side of the family that could have an effect from today or moving forward? Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. Um, as, I, as I said before, I treat people and myself as humans without labels first. Yeah. The reason for that is because um, not every elder is going to give you a wise uh, advice, for example. Yes. Because they are old. Even young kid can give you an advice that can seemingly be useful and can work at your best advantage. So I treat my father as any kind of human being. That's why I learn every day. I learn from everyone, from everyone who seeks to be the best father to their children. I tend to learn from that to say, you know, uh, maybe I used to think that I have that void that uh, or that gap that my father needs to fill. But then I realized that Maybe I need to, to fix my, my relationship with God because that's the only father that cannot come or leave you anyhow. You'll forever be there as 
you cannot force a person to have a relationship with it's just not materialistic and uh, i've tend to i've outgrown that feeling of saying i need this for my father or that and so forth uh, yes uh, some some traits people say that okay we look alike and so forth and mm. stuff like that and um i remember when his mother passed away he said to me i must come to the funeral i said why because we have no relationship you are just a human Mm. Just because you share blood doesn't mean anything. People can donate blood without being in the same bloodline, which tells you that we are humans and we are categorized as humans for that reason, that we share some certain things with or without being in the family line or in a relative line, but we are just humans. So why should I now prioritize him and not myself? Because he demonstrated that he doesn't... Uh, I, I can't just say K because I don't know what he thinks, but he doesn't um, want me in his life uh, to put it in that extent. Mm. So, but then he saw fit that since we're blood related, I must come attend some funeral at his home and stuff like that. And I asked him to say, Do you even check how am I doing? Did you even check how is life? How am I doing mm. in school? You, you don't even care. Yet, yet they're telling me about someone who never cared when you alive and you know one of, of the funny things is that i'm a person who gives people chances you see uh i remember when i was young i used to visit his mother and i was very young i think i was in i was 11 or 13 or so yes i used to visit and you you can tell that you know what this people doesn't care and until i ended up asking my mother are you sure he's my real father because this man does not care at all. And I'm, I'm going to him, I'm saying, you know what, I don't need man. But I just want to see you and be there and want you to, you know, to care. But it just lies. Just never I, felt it. Yes, and I, I have learned to outgrow it. And I've grown to the extent that uh, men who played a role in my life, who became my mentors from high school, who, who made sure that whatever I need, I tell them. I remember I used to have teachers who used to buy me study guides. And I used to be that student that, you know, I, I don't need study guides. I'm still going to progress and pass mm. and get to varsity without all these expensive study materials. I'm just going to work hard. So, you know, they used to support. And I will tell that Norman, you see, he's being a father without being blood related, which means... My thing of saying we are humans without labels still works to so say mm. not because you are not related to me or not my sister. I can be your brother and you can still call me when you need me. I can be there anyhow and offer you support that even your own blood related can't even give you. So once we move from that, because I used to ask, uh, I used to ask my, my family to say, if one day you didn't know me, but we met and had several encounters without being told that I'm one of a family member. Would you have treated me the same or not? And the answer was very clear that, yes, people treat you differently when they know who you are. Uh, yeah. So that tells you that what if amongst us we are related, but we don't know? Then when we are related, then we tend to change our perspective. Why is that? Just so you free for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you see? This you whole see? time. <laughs> why do we have to treat each other as labels, but not as humans? 
why animals treat each other too as animals they don't have labels say no you're not from my family i'm not going to share a meal mm. they live together in one place without being even blood related but humans tends to live together or invest on each other when they know that you are my label you are my family member or my relative so i became a human i did not become a person of labels to say this is my family this is not i live with everyone and i believe that uh, everyone is my family as do i you guys this is why i watch net cheer right because i was watching a documentary he's laughing but <laughs> listen follow my notion because it's exactly what he's talking about it was them document documenting the savanna but they're running out of water so this one area that was supposed to be a dam is now just pure mud but there's a little bit of um, ecosystem so there was this one particular catfish very large and it was literally an elephant looking for food and a leopard and now essentially the leopard can get up the tree because the tree's way too high to get any grass for the elephant but the elephant's right by the catfish and can get the catfish so the guy was just saying if they only knew they could work together <laughs> but because they felt they were so different or they felt like they weren't the same people start treating one another differently and yet the truth is like you said if we just treated each other the way we meant to be treated you never know what we could build and sustain and keep so that's a very interesting um you know what philosophy you have brought about because i hope people pick up from that that um i was mentioning this before It's crazy how the world looks at us and has stigmatized us as a certain dynamic of of black African people, you know. And yet here in Africa, like you said, we are all sitting in this room and we are all different, completely in the same space in the same area, but we live different lives, we want different things, and yet the world doesn't even see us like that at all. True. I want to ask you now because I want to go on to this business thing. I want to go to a lighter note. <laughs> yeah. So it was a bit heavy over there for a second, but I want to talk about this business aspect. You grew up around business, your granddad business as well. When you look back now at small young Tuso, who was he in that world? What did he see? What did he feel? What did he experience? When you look at yourself now, you're like Tuso was this kind of a child. How do you see yourself? Um as I, as I said that I'm a simple person mm. but there was one thing that was special about me I I knew what I wanted from and, an early uh, early age. Yes and I had the patience for it. I will set what what I call me what I call them primary objectives secondary and tertiary. I knew what I needed to do to survive at the particular age of 15. I used to You know, it's funny how people used to think, I know I'll not get anywhere with what I'm doing because people who started like that never got anywhere. Mm. I would clean people's yards, I would fetch the water. Okay, I'll work especially with those who can't like the old people. I'll help them, I'll help them fetch water. I would clean their yard, make sure that they send me to their stores and they used to give me something. Mm. And I used to take that something and save it up. And save it up for school work and save it up for things that could take me to the next step. The reason I'm saying that is because when I said I knew what I wanted, I I, I didn't put the perception of what will this one think about me? What will this one think about what am I doing now and currently? So, 
I clean people's yards and uh, the same people today, they want to work with me in business. So it became funny. Some of the money I will make, okay, I'll make sometimes a lot of money without expected because some people will say, no, I appreciate your work and pay me. Then I'll take some of the money home because I believe that at home, there was no rule of who is a caregiver. Mm. And I always tell people that you are your own, you have your own responsibility for your well-being. No one is responsible for you unless you have special needs where you don't have legs, you don't have hands. But in as much as we are fully bodied as a human being, you are, you have your own responsibility to make sure that you eat, you get what you need. And uh, that's why at home I'll contribute from a young age. Uh, when I when I got to high school, um, I used to be vocal about what I want to achieve. I remember I'll be seated with my friends. You know, my friends my friends were from families where their parents are teachers, their parents are principals and stuff. And I'll tell my friends, you know what, I'm not a college material, but I'm gonna go to varsity. Not that I look down on colleges, okay. no, but I knew what university has to offer because. My goal to come into university was not to come study at all only. It was to have strong self-development and through that acquire my qualification because my biggest responsibility and my biggest priority are my academics because remember, I'm at varsity because of my academics. So I can't anyhow neglect my academic work in as much as I'll be busy with this, I'll be busy with leadership, I'll be busy with small business. I was a person who knew what I wanted and I knew that I owe it to myself to have it with or without any assistance. But I am what I am today because of my own capabilities and my strength and my own energy or focus to what I always wanted. So did you ever play in the streets with grass and some, I don't know, get some ringworms like normal kids? <laughs> okay, <laughs> because I, I, I'll be very honest, hey, what I'm getting here is someone who's so sure of themselves, which is amazing. But then I'm, I'm just trying to conceptualize, did you ever have a, a, an aspect of childhood where it was just rebellious or crazy or just, you know playing soccer did you did you do that <laughs> yes I, I did um but one of the things that i always argue with myself is that i always ask myself what do i stand to benefit from all activities i'm doing because i used to to read quotes that says um whatever you do must be in line with what you want to achieve so i didn't play much uh Hence, I did try to, mm. to make sure that I play uh, whenever I get the time. But with every with my much of much of my time, I will get I will focus on building what I want to have. Mm. If I'm playing, it's probably after I get some work on weekends. After I made sure that all my homeworks are complete. After I made sure that uh, all my, my my week, my upcoming week is well set. And I played a lot. I became rebellious. Uh, but I, I was that kid, you know. If you were to give me uh, corporal punishment, I will argue my point until you even let me go. <laughs> <laughs> Up to varsity. I remember when I was in varsity, my principal was mad at uh, performance of our metric uh, year hmm. around June. 
So, uh, so the, the principal uh, had an issue with performance and giving us a metric dance after that. So when I was in grade 11, I was one of the students which performed well, but it was a low mark mm. in mathematics because they introduced this other good teacher. And I was that person who used to say to my friends, you know what? I am not good in math and I'm not even going to entertain mathematics. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm, I fear math, but there was this teacher which came to my school. He is originally from Zim. And he made me to fall in love with mathematics. And he said, I can help you get that 60%. Mm. But if you put your mind to it, you can come out with an 80%. Mm. And a strange thing happened. I got to metric my first quarter. Uh, my principal came uh, with uh, the, um, the, the, the class reports. So, and my surname is at the end. So he, he said, I'm going to choose a, a school report in the first, the, the first one and the last one and read out the marks. And then he started reading out the, the, the first student's marks and stuff like that. And when he came to me, I was not paying attention. But when we got to mathematics and I got 83% mm. to my first time, you know, even in grade R or grade 1, I ever got 80%. Even where everyone now is excelling, like my younger brother really? is excelling much. But I got 83% in metric. You were like... And I was like, no way. And my teacher was like, you know what? You are a go-getter. You just know, you just don't know it much. But when you want to get something, yeah. Even when people don't believe in you, you get it, and you make sure that you ace whatever you aim to get. So, yeah, I've always been that child that knew what I wanted, and I've never been ashamed to say it. Even if you find me dirty and you ask me, why? Where do you see your life? I'll tell you. I, I want to go to varsity, and when I get to varsity, my life will change. I'll be my own man. I'll have my own days. And people, when I was mentioning these things, people still call me be like, do you remember Pala, what we have today? <laughs> you said it before when mm. we were in high school. And we thought, no, man, how yeah, can man. someone from this background have all of this? And I told you, I'm going to stay in town. I'm going to have my own apartment by myself, my own expensive phone. And they were like, dude, and you got all of that. How mm. did you do that? And it, it still amazes me to say, how did I get here in I'm even scared of my future to to look at it now. I I I get too much scared to say with these opportunities around me, is it real or am I dreaming? Or I'm just gonna wake up in grade 10. Yeah, it, it just became that sense of dream. And I, I still believe that I thank me for believing in me all the time and believing in my craft in whatever I wanted to achieve. Some things happened miraculously. I remember I even for my community work, because I used to be a community person, I, I took care of my friends and uh, grandmother, which are not disclosed. So what happened was that the lady was, she was a Sangoma and uh, I grew up in a family where I don't believe in, in Sangoma and stuff like okay. that. So just to be clear, um, African, <laughs> African ways, <laughs> spiritual ways. So, uh, uh, this, this, this granny, uh, I knew her from my childhood and stuff like that. So she was sick and uh, she was brought to my neighbor and there was seemingly no one to take care of her. Is this because she was a Sangoma? Or no, just, no, she, she, just no, I one. looked at her, remember, I describe people as humans. Yes. I don't put label. Yes. So that she was a Sangoma 
it became an issue when I have to tell my family that, you know what, I decided to take the opportunity of taking care of this lady because she's struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't tell my family that was the reason. I didn't tell my because they were going to get scared. No, she's going to do this to you. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know what, if she wants to do something to me, let it be. But I'm going to help her without expecting any scent or any gratitude. Because I can't let an old person be sick, lying there, not able to eat. So in the morning, I'll wake up, I'll go prepare her soft porridge. In my lunchtime at school, I'll buy her an apple with my lunchbox money. And I'll take, uh, sometimes we need some panadu because I told her I can't afford painkiller. Mm. I'll take her the grandpa, the discipline, the panadu. And then after like three weeks of high, and I'll take even food of my sub. Mm. I'll say I'm eating outside and I'm going to share my meal with her. And when I tell people, they think I'm making this up. Yeah. So in the third week, she started working, and that's when I told my family. Actually, and uh, you know, I, I my grandmother went there. She was like, my grandmother was like, she have told me, uh, because my grandmother, she's a church goer, she's a Christian. I thought I'm gonna introduce you to a sango, and you never taught me anything about going to sango mass, and it's gonna be an an issue. And then she was like, fine with it. She, then she was starting to be the one who was cooking for her because she was selling food for for business. Mm. So she'll come up with some takeaways and sometimes to go to her and then take care of her. And uh, she got back to her feet and went back home, the, the, the granny. And then after a week or so, she passed away. Oh. And, that, that, and my grandmother said, do you know how many blessings you collected? from someone who who's feared and uh, when you took the guns of saying I'm going to take care of this person yeah. with or without because this person without whatever is being labeled is a human and I can't allow myself to watch another human suffer while I have hands to help and uh, that, that was one of my stories when I was growing up and I, <laughs> that was one of the craziest thing I would say I ever did in my childhood because I never got much into trouble. So when I got to varsity... Were you scared though? No, I was not. <laughs> that was one of the funny things. I was not scared at all. You know, I will sit with her, make sure that she's having company, I'll put on this TV, mm. watch some channels before I go home. And the whole tricks, my family thought I was with my friends. <laughs> they never thought I was just in the neighborhood taking care of some oil grain. They thought I was with my friends. And... I knew they were going to give me a hell of a lecture about it, but I didn't tell them. And uh, that's one thing when I reflect to say, is it because of the blessings mm. that I receive from such kind of acts that I'm where I am today? Because remember, I'm not alone who, who attempts this thing of life. Uh, we're mean, but do we even get there? No. But I got there, and how? I don't know. So, I still look back to say, you know what, before, as my statement, and I stand with it to say, before we have labels, we are humans, and we just need to treat each other as humans. What the next person may do and stab you at the back, it is none of your concern or none of your responsibility to mm. stress about that. Focus on what makes your heart clean at that particular time. If you feel like you need to go to the street and cook for the street kids, so be it. Go cook for them. Mm. It doesn't matter how much you have. You have so much, you have a little. If you want to do it, go do it. And don't wait for anyone to tell you that you have money, go give back. No, you can start giving at a young age. Um, 
up until you can. I remember uh, when I spoke to my principal about this, when he canceled the metric farewell, mm. and he said to me that there's no event is going to perform. And I, I spoke to him, I sat down with him. I said, do you remember the objective of having this event? It's not mainly to dress up and be seen or take nice pictures and say farewell. It's about having that last moment and being given a word of wisdom. We all know that word of wisdom makes us at the end. Uh, people come give us career guidance from grade 8 up until 11. It doesn't make sense. But at grade 12, it makes it's sense. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> it's there where you see that, you know what, I'm at the end and I need to listen. This I thing of saying, ah, this one he thinks is that, it's not there. So when we had that conversation, you know, the next thing he called me was like, okay, I approve because I had planned an event. I, I wrote the proposal. I sent to him. I said, let me just do a metric bribe where I'm going to invite graduates, invite people who can give that last word of hope to my fellow friends and myself. And the next morning he called us like, you know what? I'm going to give you 7,000. Because my proposal was that every student was going to contribute 20 rand. Mm. So he gave me 7,000. My friends contributed 3,000. I had 10,000. I planned this massive bribe. And all my friends were like, oh, dude, how did you do it? Mm. We, we had no hope of having any last event, but you managed it. And uh, in, in the extent, I was done bringing the meat. You know, I, I woke up at 4 a.m. and started preparing for that event, putting the tent cooking so that my fellow friends can have that last moment of being joyful together, not us meeting grumpy after exams. So I was just that person. And when I came to varsity, I had that dream of helping other students, which is one of the reasons why I started the foundation of uh, the Helping Hand, where we collaborated with the vice chancellor, staff members, and other foundations. So I believe that... Uh, with the little you have, you can still share. Because remember, you can have the millions. We're still going to die. So let's live to reality and realize that we're all going to die and we're not going to die with those millions. So why don't you do something with the little you have at the time being? Yeah. It's weird um, to get to know you in this space. I think, I don't know if you, I hope you don't take it personal. <laughs> you can come off a little rigid. Yeah. Sometimes. Okay, a lot rigid. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I think for people who understand or try and understand human interaction, you always try to look past certain things. But I, that's why I'm like, I call you rigid because even when you try to look past that, you still, it's it's very difficult. You're close, you're, I wouldn't say you're close, but you're reserved. Yeah. Too too reserved, actually. Too yeah, reserved. I noticed that um, even though you are out there, but you are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> technically, you know. <laughs> yeah, because I think um, out of all we may do, we still have our mental health to take care. And uh, in order to make your mental health secure, you can make it vulnerable. You can't sure. put it out there for people to use and stuff. You have to make sure you protect it. So that even people can't get to the point where, okay, I did, I sometimes had a once a mental breakdown when I was still leading. So yeah. it was one of the things that I learned about mental health. And then after that, um, the university put us up to this application 
of this mental health summit. So I was one of the students, the student leaders, uh, con- let me just say worldwide to be selected because yes. it was not only South Africa, it was China, it was Hungary, it was Ireland, it was USA, mm. it was Egypt, it was many countries. And I was one of the students in South Africa, which I was selected out of the six which were selected in South Africa. So, and it was mainly about mental health. So I was able to learn many things that, you know what, uh, mental health is the biggest issue. And we, we may... Take it very lightly. Yes, you can, you know, you can protect your money and make sure that you're secured in life, but make sure that your mental health is intact. I remember the first time I had a mental breakdown, I think I was about 19, but I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I just know I wasn't okay, but I didn't know like yeah. what was happening. Mm-hmm. What was that experience for you? Was it also a confusing space to be in or overwhelming? Or was it a shock to you that something, I don't think you ever wake up saying, I'm, I'm going to experience this. What was that experience for you before you even understood really what mental health was? It was very scary. And um, one of the scariest things that happened, I was just, I was just scared that, you know, I'm going to end up losing my mind. Mm. And uh, there are many people who, who I give hope to. So what will happen to them if I'm not longer there? So I, before I knew about mental health, I used to put people much first than myself, than my own mental health. I used to be worried about what uh, will happen to the people I care about, what will happen to this organization, what will happen to what I've started, and things like that. So I used to attend therapy uh, with, with the university psychologist, uh, and I worked a lot with her on some mental health. So I can say I recovered quickly. Yes. Even after that summit, yes, I felt better after it, they've taught us, those professors and all of that. But it took me time to really uh, get a full debriefing and go back to my normal life. You know, when you're in leadership, you, you're in the people's eye. You owe people a lot of answers. Mm. You, you have to be everywhere. And uh, at that particular time, I was also selected to study at Stellenbosch. I was studying governance. Mm. So when I was busy with my diploma of governance at, at uh, Stellenbosch University, and I'm busy with my undergrad degree at UMP, and I'm busy with leadership, and I'm busy with business, and I'm trying to balance my life in that. It was just too much. And I was asking myself, if I had known how to deal with mental health, I could have just categorized my responsibilities and try to put them in order and not try to enforce everything at the same time. The old finance was the old, it was not this new one where I used to. Yes. So, I'll go there every day. They were like, uh, this other day it was Thursday. And then Memnuku, she was like, uh, yeah, you're now funded. I was like, yes, I knew that I'm going to be funded. <laughs> because with the war I'm going to bring, you guys are not ready. You're going to call an first to come stop the fire, which is in the office. <laughs> you even going to be like, guys, just, just, just fund them, please. Yes, yeah, like I was funded back. And my dream, my family was not away. My landlord was not away. Yeah. I've hidden this until I started. To, I said, I'm going to give it two weeks. If it's not, I'm going to tell them. Please. Then I got back my funding. 
My solution of I was approved, moved out of the property, and I stayed here in town. Um, with a stipend, and it was just a voucher. So we used to live with the little we have, and that's when I started business. Um, I got I got internet. I remember um, I bought uh, a, a small tablet. I said, okay, what am I going to do with this tablet? Mm-hmm. Let me start a YouTube channel. I'm going to put content. And at that time, I didn't know much about policies. Mm. Uh, I went on YouTube. Uh, my YouTube channel grown big. I remember in two months' time, it grew up to 4,000 subscribers. And it was... The content I was posting was not supposed to be posted. It was music videos. And then I got banned. And it, it was my first day. It was my <laughs> first attempt of a YouTube channel. I started the second one, which I created my own content. Uh, I lost the interest. Then a third one it is the one which is today. It's having 5.3 million views mm. and over 17,000 subscribers. So I'm working with other lectures as well. So... The, the, the scenario of policies started coming to me to say, you know what? We, we end up putting ourselves in deep trouble because of not understanding policies. Why don't I start a, maybe a program or a, a lecture about students understanding policies? Yes. Little did I know that people were supporting me to say, okay, well, do you know what they're doing as governance and stuff like that? I had no interest. Mm. Then uh, 2017, I, uh, it ended there. I just looked on my channel, which paid off around around 2018. That's when I started making money. Mm. Then 2018, I started selling t-shirts. And again, I got in trouble with the university <laughs> policies because I used to sell the university t-shirts. So the director of marketing <laughs> called me and said, you need to stop this before we take you to jail. <laughs> then I was like, but I'm trying to make a living. He was like, no. The policy doesn't allow you. Then I got an interest. Then around June, I spoke to the governance and student affairs office. Said, "Why don't we start a workshop about policies?" Yes. You know, okay, let's give it a try. Uh, the university now developed uh, a system that shares policies. I then started reading university policies, mm. code of conduct, disciplinary, academic policies. Then I got an interest. Then 2018. Um, everyone was sure that I'm going to enter SRCs. But then, because I was just focused on my business, and I told them that, guys, I'm still learning. And that time I was the chairperson of a society called Black Management Forum Student Chapter at the campus. Yes. Uh, and, and I had numbers, you know, I was teaching them policies. Uh, you know, they knew that when you come to this society, you're going to be well informed. But then I rejected the nomination because I told them I'm not ready to be in leadership. I don't want to to do things out of... The sake of doing it. Yes, I want to do it and have an impact in students' life. And I don't want to do it just for the sake of it. So I rejected that. Then 20, 2019, I was sure that I need to be in SRC. Mm. From as early as February 2019. Mm. Then... Uh, no man, uh, it was late. It was late 2018. 2018. Yes. yes, it was late 2018 because January 2018. That's when I started having an interest of being in SRC. Yes, but then, and as much as I was so sure, I then developed 
this thing of wanting to learn and I realized that there is so much I have to learn. Yes. When the time of nomination around October came, I then rejected. Uh, I don't know if I'm mixing the dates because it, it wasn't my first day people wanted to, me to be in SRC. So they wanted you, technically 2017, they wanted you to join for 2018. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's true. I think the dates now yes. are getting them correct. So I, was, I told them that, guys, firstly, I'm not ready. And as much as uh, you, you may want me to be there, Time but is not I'm, right. I, time is not, I'm, I'm my first day. I know what we're seeing. I don't see it. We don't see it. Same things, but I can't. I'm gonna have to reject the nomination. Mm. And remember, I needed money. <laughs> I'm gonna give a stipend. We're gonna pay you. We're gonna travel. I was like, no, it's not about that. It's mm. not. It's about me. Mm. Whenever I do something, I want to make sure that I finish it. I don't want to start something. I don't have the day I want to resign. Then come 2018, as early as February, our, I think I was missing up the date. Yeah, our show that I need to be in SRC. Mm. Yeah, it's correctly in 2018. Then, uh, I then decided to join societies to develop myself, which end of the day, we we received award, just that I don't have it yet because it was the university award. Mm. Then secondly, personally, I received that award of community champion of my community work because I had six viable projects that the university funded. Yes. So, 2018, many things happened. I was called to be part of engagement committee, but I was like, I'm not in, I'm not in SRC or anything. They were like, no. Uh, I remember it was Mr. Fejul. Uh, he was very interested that my plans and my goals are achievable and they're not costly, which means they can adopt them and put them under the university engagement. I said, okay, I take the nomination to be part of the committee. Then we started doing community work and stuff like that. Mm. At the end of the day, we got nominated for SAPI. And changes. You know SAPI, the one yes, for people and stuff. Yeah. So we got nominated for that award. And according to the states, I was the first youngest mm. to be nominated in that award for community and stuff. And I was nominated by one of the community centers I used to work with at Kamakuk. So when it came to me, it was a shock. Actually, it came as an article online that they published that I made it to be nominated. Oh, so you and didn't, you weren't contacted to be informed about your nomination. You just found out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and then they called me. Then I started having, uh, they started having questions, and then I sent my my description yes. and I accepted everything. Mm. Then after that, I with my story and uh, sharing and stuff, I made it to the top ten, and I made it to top eight. And then, I don't know, top five or top three or so. And then it was won by this other community center because it was 30,000 and that was supposed to go to that uh, community mm. center. So, yeah, that was my 2018. I was just busy trying to get myself on the feet. My YouTube channel was starting to pay off. I was paying because the content I was not creating my on my own. Mm. It was people I collaborated, so I need to pay them. So I started having a bit of income. I started saving because I knew that I wanted to invest in in some small business that are viable. Then, and as much as I was sure that I needed to be in SRC, uh, I then 
I told my friends that, you know what, guys, this year I think I'm ready for being nominated to be the 2019 SRC member. They're like, are you sure? I was like, yes. Uh, then I was nominated and I won with huge numbers, which was very scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where even students in other societies or parties were like, no, we voted for you as an individual because we believe in you. And then, okay, I got myself an SRC. I started working. I remember I came back to the university on the 3rd of January after mm-hmm. New Year's second day of holiday. Then I got to the varsity. I called the VC. So, you know what? I need to come back to the university. I need to be starting preparing for my year. I have many things to achieve for students. I have many things to deliver for them as much as I've promised. And I need to deliver as much as I'm here. So, yeah, um, I started my leadership work. Uh, I gave it my all. Uh, there were many challenges, <laughs> lows, up and downs, yeah. uh, opportunities I missed because I had to focus on leadership. Because I don't think, uh, I, at, at that particular time, I didn't think I was good at it. And then, I started to be receiving uh, like sponsorship for some various things. Like uh, the first one was the global summit, which I was sponsored to go there, paid everything fully and stuff. I went there, other opportunity events and stuff like that. And then I remember um, late June, uh, the Stellenbosch University opened applications and I was also taken. Uh, as one of their students to start doing governance because in that short course uh, you had to have at least two years experience in leadership doing something so the the university student affairs wrote a motivational letter on my behalf that no this person has been working and then successful as one i was the only one which was uh, taken from ump then i studied at stellenbosch I had some time to go to classes in Stellenbosch. Remember, I'm still busy with my academics at UMP. I'm still leading students. We're still having projects. Mm. Uh, And I had founded an organization that seeks to help students with toiletries, food packs, transport money where possible. Uh, Sometimes we used to, I used to to get support from the students that can cook for those students which doesn't have lunch. So, we ran the program successfully throughout the year. We used to provide even clothing. Some of the things that uh, were valuable, we used to try and be there because our goal was to keep students in class. And my do, I don't have million rand in my pocket. The little I had, I was just giving it. My stipend every month, I was devoting it to that program. So the stipend I was being paid for SRC, I was not even seeing. They didn't touch it personally. Yes, I was just giving it to that organization. I would go to Macro, buy this and that. And then it touched many staff members. They started contributing. Even the vice chancellor used to contribute. Even the Helate uh, PA used to contribute. And it became a viable program that became continuous. Because I thought it would last maybe two months. But it happened throughout until the end. And then... I was nominated for a national young philanthropist for that project and my community project. 
And then this other time I'm from office, it was because I used to leave office around 2 a.m. in the in the morning. So I'm walking to my room, I'm just opening my emails, and then I got this email, congratulations, you have been you've won an award, you need to collect it at Western Cape, at Western Cape University. And the event will be graced by the Minister of uh, Higher Education. Apparently, the Deputy Minister came. I was like, what is all of this? How? Who nominated me? <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> and then the university said, no, in support, we're going to fund your, your hotel mm. and fund your flights. And I flew down to Cape Town to go collect uh, that award. And it was just dedicated to me and my team members, which worked throughout. And they believe that this organization is the organization that can help students. And I'm just forever grateful for them that they, in, out of believing in me, they believe in helping other students. So then... So you're looking, how, did, how does it feel to be reflecting on all of this? <laughs> it still scares me most of the time. I'm still asking myself, why me? And I'm still asking myself, why not me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then um, late again, uh, we were requested to make, a, to submit reports of what we were doing as SRC members. Yes. Okay, I did my report, I submitted my community projects, this foundation, the people I worked with, and then submitted. And then, I then got nominated for the Vice Chancellor Best Male Student Lead uh, because it's two awards. There's Best Male and Best Female. Mm-hmm. So okay, uh, I, I went. They said, "Come accept nomination or decline." I went and accepted. Come October, I was awarded the the, the Vice Chancellor Best Male Student Lead of the Year 2019, and. Uh, that's some of the highlight that, you know, I was asking myself, if I had taken the opportunity back in 2018, would it have been the same, the same way it happened in 2019, if I had just rushed? And then I, I then remember that I'm a patient person. I'm not a rush rush because I believe that things that come quickly, they fade away quickly. So patience is, is art that no one can erase. Is, is art that no one can recraft. It's an art that is designed. It has to stay that way for many, many years. And that's one thing that I always Things believe. happen as they meant to be, yeah. when they meant to be. I think that we don't so, know what's going to happen, so we always panic. Yeah. But in every moment, space, and time, it was never supposed to be any other date or time or space. You've basically shared your space of business and leadership. For someone who is scared to tap into such spaces or is curious, but they're not sure, what are your five principles that you would like to share with them for business and leadership um, that they would want to carry with them that has probably worked for you or you carry with yourself now? Yeah. The the first one, the biggest fundamental one was uh, patience as you 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 have to have patience and i know we are hungry for a quick success but patience is is virtue on its own to that extent that it may not be today but somehow it will happen just keep knowing that 
And the second one will be one of the things that helped me is networking. Networking enabled me to be out of my comfort zone. Mm. It enabled me to meet great people who went through what I'm going through. And when they shared their story through those networking events or workshops, I, I, I tend to relate and learn much from such and develop myself because I'm a person who believes in self-development. Mm. Whatever self-development cookers we're having, I want to be there. Mm. I want to learn. Every day, I want to learn. I don't care whether you're rich, you're poor, you're middle. I want to learn. As much as the information that interests me, mm. I want to hear it. I want to learn from you. And uh, I, the, the, the reason most I, I'm reserved is because I don't know where to start when someone asks me, tell us about yourself. <laughs> I don't know whether to say, I love community work, or I need to say, I love leadership and governance, or, mm. or, or I need to say, I love business, or I need to say, mm. I love people. I don't even know where to start. And uh, that, that's one of the things that I, 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 I tend to learn to become more reserved and not say much. Because people used to say, you do so much behind the scene, and people don't even know that. Because after my leadership work and receiving whatever I received last year, December when I was just seated at home, it was 23, I remember very well. Then the dean called. I remember the university is closed and stuff. The dean calls and say, Tuzu, uh, would you be interested to be the ambassador of the university for the year 2020 in student entrepreneurship? And then I said, can I call you back? I need to digest this. Firstly, I thought I'm focusing much on intra- on, on business. Uh, I mean, I focus much on leadership. But people still picked it up that I'm also an advocate for student entrepreneurs. Mm. So I was just amazed. I thought I'm focusing on leadership only and business I'm just doing it, but I'm not out there much about it. And then, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to have so much responsibility in the year. 2020, I'm just going to relax and stuff. And they'd be like, uh, and before then, they'd offered me an office mm. to start operating on. I do my community work, do my my my, my program. And many students were like, how do you get an office with an aircon and a table and a chair and equipment <laughs> and you're a student? <laughs> what are you doing exactly? Mm. So, it amazes people to say, you know what, when I say I'm going to study, you know, or I say, let me take my office. I'm like, dude, do you have an office? Where you work at? How calm is that? And yet, after your leadership is still given much responsibilities that seeks to impact students' life. Yeah. And January came, uh, I had to go to represent the university. And I'm the first ambassador for entrepreneurship. For the investment. So I didn't know what to do. There was no handover from the previous person who was yeah. doing this. So I had to start everything from you scratch. You were just winging it and just and, uh, going with it. One of the objectives is that at the, at the end of my term, we must have established a center for entrepreneurship, which is now currently established at the investment. So I'm there at national uh, event. Okay. You're new. You're from the university. All the universities are well represented. Then I started learning, I started engaging. Then people started picking it up again mm. that I have sense of leadership. And that that surprises me that why does every time people 
tend to see what I'm not trying to put out there. To say, I, I came there to speak about entrepreneurship, but how someone is speaking, because someone started calling me, hey, leadership, leadership. And I'm like, but I told you that my name is Tuz, mm. but they're now calling me leadership. How <laughs> did that? So it, it becomes it that, that my life on my own, it surprises me. People think I may, not, I may know what's my next move. I don't know. I just find myself there. That was my next question. Where to <laughs> from here? Yes. Where to from here? Because you've clearly shared that you're ambitious. You have shown that you are driven through your ambition. Where to from here? In the sense that what is a moment for you that when you wake up, screams serenity, screams peace, screams, yeah. Yeah, um, I think I've established three principal goals that I want to achieve before I can mention business. Is that uh, I want to play a role in job creation. Yes. I want to play a role in poverty elevation. Yes. Play a role in food security because I'm also a BC agriculture student. So I made applications at the land um, development, rural reform. Yes. To get land and space and funding where we can start farming and I create jobs because I believe that uh, as a leader, it's my utmost responsibility to create job and not go around looking for a job. Instead, I should be the one creating the jobs. Mm. So I give myself that responsibility that whatever I may seek to achieve, even if I'm venturing to property business because that was that's one of my next moves. Uh, I was looking to funders, uh, sponsors, or partners, or loan, so that I can start a business that at least I can hire a group of people, or just one, two, or three, and just make sure that I play a role in job creation and making sure that I partake in the unemployed, unemployment curve of this country. So, so I'm using my goal and my three objectives to drive whatever needs to whatever needs to be done yeah. <laughs> yes. but you know so, that's that's where we're gonna be yes the, the, the. hence I'm, I'm a person because <laughs> i remember during lockdown they say when i wrote that book um people thought even the person the lady we met on twitter because i always tell my friends that you know, I know I get that you're on social media, but is social media really paying or helping mm. you or are you just being more stressed after social media? Mm. Because myself, I'm there on social media looking, I'm scouting, I'm scouting people I can work with, people, they inspire me. And, I, and then during lockdown, I was just chilled. Then I go on Twitter, I see this lady, she's speaking about her life, how the how she became uh, a, a person who is today working in, in Belgium from being a maid in South Africa. Mm. So I then developed interest in that person. All right. Your story is very, very inspirational. I, I just started by complimenting them. Yeah. That their story is very, very inspirational. From someone who is a who was a, a, just a domestic worker to now having 70,000 follow us on social media by just sharing your story and people getting interested because she's a cook now mm. and she started teaching herself while being made. So I was, I was like, you know, I, I have another skill of writing, but 
I wouldn't want to waste your time. And so, so I was like, no, let me hear it. Because she also had a dream mm. of writing a book. I was like, okay, let me just share my ideas and see how we take it from there. And then I drafted my ideas in the form of a proposal. So I was like, yes, I'm keen. Let's try this. And then the next thing where the book written of, of, of close to 300 pages with recipes mm. and her story. Uh, because she, in as much as it's it, the story of the book was not only about her transition or her life changing moment from being a, a a domestic worker in South Africa to be working in an embassy in Belgium, it it's also that she used food to fight obesity and live a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. So, in the book. Uh, she, it's not one inspiration which was there. It was just many. And many people still ask me, but how did you find interest in writing someone's story? We never thought you can write, but here you are, you wrote, you design, you putting the typesetter, you are proofreading, you're doing all of this, you're editing and stuff. I was like, guys, um, you, you can do many things, just don't be a criminal. You have to attempt everything that is available, but not being a criminal. Mm. Because we can be everything we want if we just put our mind to it. Yes, people, when they feel that you're doing too much, they can come to you and say, don't you think you're doing too much? You need to focus. And ask them, what is focus? Because focus is what gives you a goal. That's a focus everyone should be having. Not that you should be having a job, come home, going to work. No. I can be having a job and run a farm on the side. That's me. It gives me a goal. True. So, yeah, my next move is to apply those three fundamentals, which is poverty elevation, job creation, and play a role in food security. Mm. Sounds like a lot on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something you're not afraid uh, to definitely do. But I wish you all the best. And thank you for just sharing a huge part of yourself that even though you are a reserved person, um, I don't know if it was or was not easy, but I definitely appreciate um, you sitting down and, and sharing that with us. And I wish you the best. But that, I think, wraps it up <laughs> for today. And, uh, thank you for having me as well. Code that you live by. That's how we close it off. Yeah. What's your code that you live by? Um, let me just go back to opportunities because I spoke much about opportunities. You know, opportunities are so many. They move like buses. And every bus company doesn't have one bus. They have other buses. They just move per time. Mm. If you miss a bus, a bus at 5 a.m., you're definitely going to maybe catch up a bus at 7. You may be late, but you got there. Mm. So in that, and the moral of that is to say, we may not achieve whatever we want at the exact same time. But if you achieved it, achievement and success has no age group. Everyone can be successful. Everyone can wake up successful. So you just need to make sure that every day, you give it a go every day. You put that two minutes of time to make sure that you achieve what you want to achieve in future. But make sure that you don't lose hope because hope is one thing that can take you anywhere, even when people don't believe in you. Yeah.
I have one request for you to help me close this off. I'd like you to say my name is Tuso Gogeta Chowane <laughs> and that you are officially an African sung hero now. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is Tuso Chilwane and I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a discovered <laughs> go-getter and a, a, a young South African, African unsung hero. No, you're a sung hero now. <laughs> now you're a sung hero. And of course, yes. <laughs> I am D, and this is brought to you by Hers Truly. And like I always tell you, live love, but wherever you go, be safe. This podcast has been mastered and edited by Mlungisi Mota. Henley's Evictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the foul clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me afraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul.